0: Andreas shared a word with us. In in the in the past two mornings, he's been sharing a word for us uh, with us as a fellowship on the the, the the fight of faith. And I know he encouraged you to to listen to that. I hope I hope you have. If you haven't, please again, I'd like to encourage you. They were incredibly powerful messages. Uh, and then last Sunday evening, or well, on the webinar together in this in this forum, he spoke about casting our cares upon the Lord. And much of it revolved around a similar kind of of train of thought that the only way we can cast our cares upon the Lord is through faith. It's through committing our trust in his promises into his character and depending upon him that he will perform what he promises and will do what he says he will do. And tonight I want to share a message with you called From Cliché to Character from cliche to character. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will have encountered what I call Christian cliches. Um, mm-hmm. I laughed with some of us. We, we have a, a, a thing in, in, in South Africa. I don't know if it's so prevalent around the world. Uh, it's especially prevalent for some reason among Afrikaans people, the Afrikaans church community. That when they greet each other or when they're sending an email or when they're saying goodbye to one another, then, you know, normally you'd say kind regards or, you know, sincerely or something. No, the, 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 the cliché is blessings, blessings, instead of saying bye, blessings. And I, I don't know why it grates my carrot, but it really does. It's It's one of those little clichés, and I'm sure it's well intended. I'm speaking blessings over you. I'm speaking blessings over me. But it's so often just one of those things that's thrown out. You just throw it out. Blessings. Anyway, what are some of the Christian cliches we have? Some of the other Christian cliches, you know, how are you doing? I'm too blessed to be stressed. Wonderful. You. Anybody want to slap somebody like that in the face? You know, generally, you know, I, I don't know about you, but it's uh, good for you. Because generally you're battling something, I'm battling something. We're facing some kind of difficulty that seems very real and very prevalent. And when somebody comes with that kind of level of positivity, oh, it can be annoying. Now, there's a lot of these kind of cliches that, th- that are found in Scripture. And let me say this. These things, I, I say cliches, and I do so with inverted commas, because you know what? I believe there are a lot of people that say blessings. Because they're casting blessings on you and they're wanting to speak blessing over your life when they're greeting you or when they're parting you. And I believe that there are a lot of people that really are so filled with gratitude to God for what he has done in their lives. That they are so aware of his goodness that they truly and sincerely are too blessed to be stressed. And so I say these things not to belittle them or to mock them, but to, to get us to to think and to relook at some of the things God says. Let me read to you some some cliches that are out there that I've used. Especially in, in walking with people, in pastoring people, one of them comes out of second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, and it says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. How good does that sound? That sounds amazing. Is it true or is it just a cliche? Well, it's true because it's the word of God, clearly. But how often do we hear something like that and receive it as though it were just some cliche, some things that, you know, God says or preachers say or people say to make us feel better. What about Philippians 4? Uh, I think it's verse 13 where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that true? Well, yes, it is. Have you found it to be true? That is the question. Sometimes when we go through a hard, a hard time, we, 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 we call on Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's supposed to fill our hearts with comfort. When we're sitting in the middle of COVID times with riots breaking out all over, uh, you know, all around us and we see devastation and we see destruction. and But all things are working together for uh, Is it a cliche or is it true? Can you see in the midst of what you are going through, how God is using the circumstances around you for your good? Let me give you one more. How about this one? This is a challenging one. James 1, verse 2 to 4. I'll read it from the message. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. How many of you wished for that for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Just challenges and tests from all sides. Nobody wishes these things. But the Bible says count it as a gift. You know that under pressure... Your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Listen, today I want to talk to you about the journey from what seems like a cliche, just something that sounds too good to be true, something that is just said by some, some people sometimes, or at least we receive it as Uh, They're just saying that to make me feel better. They're just saying that, you know, so that, uh, you know, it doesn't look like such a hopeless situation. This scripture from James, especially in the way that it's put in the message. I love the way it says under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. It shows and it proves and it helps us see in our times of challenges, in our times of difficulties, in our times of lack. In our times, when we don't see the manifestation of the fruition of God's promises, the way we expect. These times are what show us whether we consider these things just to be cliches. Or whether we are really rooted and grounded in them. Let me put it another way. It shows us whether or not these things have become a part of us. Whether these sayings have become a part of our character. You see, all these scriptures I've read to you are true, but they're also a test and they gauge our true level of faith. You know, the one person we can think of very, very simply is, is, is Joseph. God gives this young man. I think he was uh, 16, 17 gets wonderful dreams and of, of his brothers bowing down to him and all his in all his zeal and ignorance, he goes and shares these dreams with his brothers. and we know the story of his life. you know they they want to murder him, eventually they sell him into slavery. Later on, he's promoted in Potiphar's house to being in charge of all of of this very influential man's estate, if you like. Uh, then Potiphar's wife gets in the mix and Joseph ends up in prison. Once in prison, again, Promoted right up to basically running the prison as a prisoner. Then he interprets some dreams. The king's cupbearer gets reinstated, and for another two years Joseph is forgotten. He's left to rot in jail until eventually we know the story. Pharaoh looks for somebody to interpret his dreams. Finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, and we see that in that moment Joseph has an opportunity, a God ordained moment. Where the promise of God comes to fruition, and he is elevated to the two I see in the kingdom. But from the time that those promises were made to the time that Joseph was instated as the the, the statesman to oversee the seven years of plenty, was a period of seventeen years. And in the book of Psalm one hundred and five verse nineteen, this is what it says, until the time that his word came to pass, The word of the Lord tested him. Speaking of Joseph. The word of the Lord tested him. Now, it's very interesting. It wasn't the circumstances that tested him. It was the word of the Lord. Why is it that the word of the Lord is what tested him? You see, if Joseph had no word from the Lord, his life would have been what it is. That would have been his lot. His brothers hated him, maybe. And they sold him off because he was They were sick and tired of, of, of their father's favoritism. And, you know, maybe he would have just considered my lot is to be a slave now. And my lot is to be OK, great. Things are working out for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going in the right way. And then I'm in prison. And well, maybe this is my lot now. And, and without any other expectation, there is no test. The word of the law doesn't test those to whom it has not come. But you see, when you and I receive the promises of God, when we begin to delve into the depths of what God has given you and I through Jesus Christ, the fullness of his gift of salvation, the fullness of life in the spirit, the fullness of deliverance, the promises of his grace, of his provision, of his leading and of his power, we are given expectations that will begin to test the strength of our character. As well as where it is that our faith is truly set. Do we look at our lives? Do we consider our circumstances and just look at this and go, this is my lot. This is what God has entrusted me with and this is just it. Or do we dare to begin to look at some things that seem like cliches? They seem too good to be true. And actually dream and actually be willing to believe that when God said those things, he really and truly meant them not just as some pie in the sky idea, but for you as his son and as his daughter. I want to look at the story and the timeline of Abraham and Sarah tonight. And we're actually going to spend the bulk of our time together talking about this Um, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to be reading these portions from the new King James. And we're going to be jumping through quite a lot of portions of scripture because for me, Understanding the timeline of the covenant that God makes with Abram and Sarah or Abram and Sarai. Understanding how these things unfolded through time gives us a great window into what they went through, into how their character was molded and shaped. And then afterwards, we're going to see what the Bible actually says about them. So we're going to look at the story and then we're going to see something which almost seems contradictory. So we're going to start. Abraham is 75 years old. In South African terms, we would say he's a madala, which is a word for old man. And I'm going to read to you from Genesis 12, verse one to three. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land. I will show you I will make you a great nation. And so here we already see the promise of descendants, the promise of that from you will come many. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is where we see this journey that Abraham begins. He believes God. He leaves his country. He goes out. And over the next 10 years, 10 years, just think about that. Put that into your life. For some of us who are younger, 10 years seems like a long time. It's a quarter of my life. For others of us, 10 years has just been sort of a flash in the plan. Time just goes by so quickly. But 10 years is a period. During these 10 years, Abraham passes through Canaan. He travels through Egypt. He separates himself from Lot. He wins battles with five kings. He meets Melchizedek. And after 10 years, Abraham is now 85 years old. We turn to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through to 6. It says that after all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless? Let's pause there. We can see how big a deal this is in Abram's life. He says, in all of these things, I've done all you said, but yet still. That thing you promised me, I, I, I'm still childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars. See if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then we have that famous verse and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So here we see Abraham is 85 years old, 10 years after the original promise. The promise remains. God says this is what I'm going to do for you. So he obviously shares this with his wife and Sarai hatches up a plan. Genesis 16 verses 1 to 3. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And and Sarai said to Abraham, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. I want you to hear those words. Very important in the narrative that we're looking at today. God promises Abraham and they're in there in that promises Sarah as well, that they will bear many that through them will come an heir. And look at the words that Sarah uses. The Lord has restrained me from being bearing children. She puts the blame squarely on God. It's not my fault. It's not your fault, Abraham. This is God. He made a promise. He hasn't delivered. It's very important to notice that where is Sarah's heart right now? That thing you said, some cliche nonsense, Abraham. Please go in, she says, to my maid, and perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai, and then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the maid, her maid, the Egyptian, gave it to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Cain. Well, the following year, at 86 years old, Abram had a son named Ishmael, born to his servant. And we think that then God kind of comes immediately on the scene and begins to speak. We know that after that Sarah becomes terribly jealous of Hagar hey, and eventually split and some things happen. But the next time we have a major encounter between God and Abraham is 13 years later. This child is now grown up 13 years old and at 99 God speaks to Abram again. And here we read in Genesis 17. Verses one to five, when Abram was ninety nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Again, more promises of multiplication. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. And this is where we see this great change. This is now 23 years after the original promise and God is still going on. In fact, he's intensifying things. He's actually saying now I want you to change your name. Now I want you to. Your, your problem is, Abraham, you're not seeing yourself the way I'm seeing you. You still seeing yourself as Abram. I want you to start calling yourself Abraham. I'm giving you a new name. I am giving you a new identity. I am changing who you are. In essence, my words that I am now putting in your mouth are changing you. They are changing who you are. They're changing the way you think about yourself. They're changing your identity. In verse 15 of the same chapter, verses uh, chapter 17, verse 15 and 16, then God also said to Abraham, "As for Sarai, your wife, you're not going to call her Sarai anymore, but Sarah will be her name. And I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her." And to this, we think Abraham said, wow, God, thank you for this awesome new name. Thank you for Sarah. Because, of course, Abraham believed God, right? And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he had this great faith because he's the father of our faith, right? And so they changed their names and went out with great joy in their hearts. Well, let's just read the next verse. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? This is ridiculous. Clearly you meant spiritual sons or clearly you meant something else. There is, he's, He fell on his face and laughed. Listen, I've done stupid things in my life before. I've said stupid things. You probably all heard many of them. I've had people laugh at me. I've never had somebody fall on their face and laugh at me. I mean, that's seriously an insult. But what about Sarah? We see her response. So a little while later, Genesis 18, we see God appears to Abraham under the terebinth trees at a place called Mamre. And he has a meeting with him. Genesis 18. I'm going to read verses 10 to 15. And he said, I will surely return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. In other words, the next time I come around, Sarah was listening in the door of the tent, which was behind it, which is like what all of you, Christelle and Emma, all of you girls, you're sitting in the background listening. It's just the same as what Sarah does here. Yeah. And she was listening. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. In other words, this was naturally impossible. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Again, this isn't out loud. Abraham had the audacity to do it out loud. Sarah's laughing inside herself. You can see her in the tent going, here we go again. After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My lord being also so old? Come on, guys, this is this is not this is PG rated stuff. In other words, she's saying, God, you haven't invented Viagra yet. This ain't gonna happen. And so and then he says, and then she says, where am I? My Lord being so old also. And the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely, shall shall I bear a child since I am old? And he asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And maybe that's the question some of us need to be confronted with, given the situation we're facing at this time. Maybe it's a provision thing. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a business thing and you're not sure how things are going to turn around. Perhaps your struggle is a relationship thing or a marriage thing. I don't know where you are at and I don't know what cliche bugs you because it seems to be so impossible or contradictory to your circumstances. But I I believe God's asking you the same question that he asked Abraham that day. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? At the appointed time, he said, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh for she was afraid. And he said to her, no, you did laugh. Now, what I find really interesting in through all of this, we have journeyed a long time. Abraham's now 99. okay? He was 75. So we're talking about 24 years here. Since God initially made a promise and God has just intensified that promise and expanded that promise and made it bigger and even more unrealistic, if you like, the older and the older they've gotten. And here we see them now at 99 and 90 years old. And by if we just read the narrative, if we just read what it says. They're struggling with this. They are laughing at God now. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans with me, the book of Romans, chapter four. I want you to read what it says there about Abraham. Romans 4, verses 19 to 21. It says this. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. I don't know about you, but does this seem contradictory? (laughs) <laughs> what is this verse saying? This let me read you another one, and then we'll 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 start breaking this down. In Hebrews chapter eleven, so keep turning towards the back. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse eleven. so we we see what 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 the Bible said about Abraham, he didn't consider his body, he didn't waver in faith, but he believed. Hebrews eleven eleven, this is now talking about Sarah who also laughed in her tent at what God had said, says this by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who promised. What an incredible story. You see, when we look at what the people are going through, When we look at the trial and the struggle they're facing, trying to to take this word, trying to take what God has said and apply it and live it out. We see the battle that they have. But yet when we look back on it. It says Abraham didn't waver. And Sarah believed God. What does that tell us? It tells us that there came a point in both Abraham and Sarah's life where they managed to transition from cliché to character. Something happened throughout this course of events that caused that word, which in some times seemed so ridiculous that made them laugh, come to a place of vital, real experience. The following year, when Abraham was 100 years old, Isaac was born. And listen to what Sarah says now. Genesis 21, verses 1 to 5. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, and it just accentuates it Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. The interesting thing that I want to that I want to point out to you in noting this transformation in how we look at Abraham and Sarah and how we see how they grappled with their faith and how their faith came to a place of realization and maturity is if we fast forward probably around 23 years once again. And we look at the occasion where God decides to test Abraham and he says to him, I want you to take your son up to the hill and I want you to sacrifice him for me. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And we know Abraham gets up in the morning. He takes his son and two helpers along and they cut the wood for the for the for the sacrifice. And off they go. When Abraham leaves his two servants down with the donkey to head up the hill with his son, Isaac, Listen to what he says to them. Genesis 22, verse five. Stay here with the donkey. The lamb and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We will. This is before the ram was this is before the ram was put in place. This is before Abraham knew what was about to unfold. But something had clicked so so holy and so completely. Abraham was so thoroughly convinced and convicted. That even even if God was going to I think there's another place in the Bible where it says that Abraham was so convinced that even if, if if he was sacrificed, Isaac, God would have raised him from the dead because in Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise. And so he says to these servants now. We're going up, but we are coming back. He was utterly convinced. And we know what happens. God sees him rise, raise that that knife to drive it into Isaac. And he says, stop. And he gives him the, the Passover. He gives him the lamb and. Uh, oh, not the lamb, the ram and and, uh, and and the sacrifice is made. And God blesses Abraham and he blesses his descendants because And he said, because you were willing to do this, I will bless you. You see, what I want to sh- what I want you to see is we call Abraham the father of our faith. And rightly so. But there is a deeply personal journey that every one of us needs to travel with God in receiving and working out the promises that he has made to us. And this is the journey from cliche to character. I want to share with you, and I'm going to take about five minutes before I do it. Just one example from my own personal life, because this is very personal. This is deeply personal to me. Now, this is not everybody's story. And to some, this may seem uh a little uh, perhaps arrogance is not the right word but conceited i guess many years ago i had uh this is before before helen and i were married but i think we were we may have been engaged or we may have been courting i had a meeting with somebody one day and and we were sharing about finances and income at that time at that time i was still in logistics it must have been around the year 2005. So Helen and I weren't even a thing. She wasn't even a thought in my mind at that stage. Um, and then our conversation was going on about, you know, how expensive things have become and how, you know, you buy a property and a house these days. How do young people do it without the help, help of their parents anymore? Things are just so expensive. And and how do they do You need to have both in the, both, Both members of the couple working and and earning a living in order to afford a a decent kind of lifestyle these days. It's very rare to have it where just one can can work and earn enough money to, to support a household. But in all of these things, he said something that struck me. He said, you know, even despite all of these things, he still believed that it was the responsibility of the man to provide for his home. And I remember that stuck with me and I remember praying to God and. And I was I was thinking about many things at the time, obviously thinking about coming into ministry full time, and I was looking at my upbringing. I was I, my, my my mother worked like a Trojan. She, I won't say like a dog, but she worked incredibly hard. My dad worked hard too to to earn a good living and to make a wonderful life for us children. By the time I was 18 years old, I've I've traveled half of Europe. I've been over to the States. Travelling is something I love. And I've been very blessed to do a lot of traveling, you know, I hadn't wanted for anything growing up. I looked at my sister, who was also working in logistics, her husband, and I looked at their lifestyle and they had made very good financial decisions. They had made the little they had go very far. And I looked at the things they had, and these are materialistic things. And I remember saying to God one day, I say, Lord, if it's my job to provide for my family, I can do a better job of that in the working world, in the marketplace than I can in the church. If that's my primary thing, I can go. I know, how. you know, I'm working in logistics. I know how to make money. I can I can do that out there. But that's a bad motive to come into the ministry with. And I look at these things and I have to be honest, Lord, I want these kinds of things. I desire a life. I desire these things. And I was very honest with God. And I'm saying, God, I understand this may be covetousness and I'm searching my heart in all of this. And, you know, you search your heart. Am I prepared to lay it all down? Am I prepared to walk away from all of those things to go into the ministry? And you you count the cost. And this is all I'm sharing these things with you because this was my internal battle and my internal wrestle of searching my heart, my true motives behind the decisions that were coming up in my life. And I remember having a meeting with God one day, meeting with God, if you like. In which God said to me, and he made me this promise personally, he said, Michael, if you look after the things I entrust into your care, I will look after you. If you look after my people, I will look after you. Those words are as true and as powerful to me today as they were the day God spoke them to me. Because in the spirit, if you like, I reached up my hand and I took God's hand and I said, God, I trust you. I trust you. I believe that if I give my life to looking after your people, that you will honor that word and you will look after me. Now, God has been so, so faithful to my wife and I over these years. And I've seen his miraculous provision from from our wedding day all the way through in so many ways, and sometimes his provision comes in the form. Of out of the blue, a blessing comes to us, and it's generally just at the right time. I'm sure there's many of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. There's other times where God's blessing has manifested in the fact, like my wife's car is 20 something years old, and it still goes like the clappers. It's like the shoes on the feet of the Israelites when they were traveling the wilderness for 40 years. It, it didn't wear out, it's still going. And I consider that blessing from God because the thing is paid for. I'm not paying money on that car every month. And that's a blessing to me, you know, and I see this manifesting itself in so many ways. And what I'm saying to you is those words. And that, that's just one example of many. But I've had to be tested on that again and again and again over the years. You know, when my wife and I first got married, sorry, my wife and I got married and uh, she was pregnant with Leah and it was coming up to September and Pastor Andreas had mentioned something about an increase in September and we needed to buy a house because we were about to have a child and our flat wasn't big enough. And so we made all our plans and we saw that our budget was just like tight. It was we would just just scrape through. If anything incidental happened, we'd be in trouble. But it's okay. We were expecting an increase. And so we made our decisions based on that. We didn't get an increase for four years. We bought a house. We had a child. And during that time, we had to buy a new car as well because my Polo. Well, we came into the promised land of the new house. And so the sandals wore out on that one. And I want to tell you something. Those four years, I saw God again and again and again. If it wasn't coming from the east, it was coming from the west. If it wasn't coming from the south, it was coming from the north. Somehow our money stretched beyond what it it could in the natural. Somehow God caused blessings to come out. You know, he took care of us. And that's my testimony even to this day. I want to encourage you, according to Hebrews, I want to read you just two more portions of scripture to close out and then we'll do communion together. Hebrews chapter four, verse two speaks about the people of Israel who had a promise from God, who saw his mighty hand deliver them out of Egypt. And they had a promise from God that he would take them through into the promised land. But this is what it says for. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. Sorry, that's not just the the people of Israel, but the pattern is the same. The principle is is true. Verses 11 and 12 of the same chapter, Hebrews 4. So then, and I'm reading this now from the Passion Translation. We must be eager to experience this faith rest life. So that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two mouthed sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. I think that for me really encapsulates the wrestle that I was having with God. His word in, in so many different ways was testing. And seeing the true thoughts, the true motives and the true intentions of our hearts. God's word tested and revealed the true thoughts, the true intentions and the true motives of Abraham's heart, of Sarah's heart, of Joseph's heart. And we can go through so many. Just go read Hebrews chapter 11, the the, the hall of fame of faith. You see, when the word of God, the very person of Jesus becomes a part of who we are. It changes us. In order for that to happen, however, we need to wrestle with the cliches. What seem to be cliches, the things that almost seem too good to be true, the promises that God makes to us personally, we've got to wrestle with those in openness and honesty with God. And this will mean that we will have to choose between what we see, between what we experience, between our, our you know, what what the things around us tell us versus what God says. And the choice that we make will make all the difference. I want to encourage you. And I hope that what I've shared with you today will encourage you in seeing the battle and the wrestle that Abraham and Sarah had to to let you know that this is normal. This is how we see what we are truly made of. This is how our faith is tested and purified. And this is how it comes through strong. This is how we fight the good fight of faith. It's in this wrestling. That these promises of God sift our motives and our heart and bring us to the place of true faith. I want to read to you once again the good old cliche from James 1 verses 2 to 4 from the message. Consider it a gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Don't sell out. Don't give up. Don't give in. Let it do its work so that you become mature, well-developed and not deficient in any way. So that God can say of you that the same he said of Abraham, that he didn't waver in faith. He reached a place where his faith no longer wavered. And that God can say of you, like he said of Sarah. That he received and that that my child walked in the promise because they judged me faithful who promised. I want to encourage you in the wrestle. Keep wrestling. Keep the word of God. Keep the promises of God before your eyes and in your mouth until you see them come to fruition, until you find that place of peace where you are no longer striving, where those things have become a part of who you are and you walk in the grace. And the fullness of those promises. Amen. All right. Time for communion. Before we do that, let's just pray over this word. My father, God, I want to thank you. That you are a deeply personal God. You haven't just given us a book of writings that we can get to know about you and all the things that you did for other people. You gave us your son, Lord God. And you've given us your very spirit within us so that we may commune directly with you, that we may have fellowship and intimacy with you. I want to thank you, Father God, that through your Son Jesus, you have brought us into a covenant relationship with you, into the promises and the blessings that you have made from Abraham and all the way through. I want to thank you that your word is rich and it is elaborate in the ways that it describes. Your covenant of goodness towards us. I want to praise you for that, Father God, that your heart towards us is good. It is loving and kind that you are forgiving and merciful, that you are gracious and generous with us. I want to thank you that you invite us into an experience which transcends the natural limitations we see around us. It brings us to a place of peace in the midst of chaos of strength when we are weak and don't know what to do of wisdom and understanding in the midst of confusion of grace and strength when we are lost and we feel at a loss of provision and generosity when it seems like we have nothing more to give my God, your abundance, your all sufficiency. Is such a blessing to us. And I want to thank you for every word and every promise you've given us. And I want to pray over every person in who is who is listening to this, who is grappling between their experiences and the promises that you have made them. I want to pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you will give them strength through your word to believe and to trust that you are who you say you are and that you will do who you what you say you will do. I pray that they're that their courage in, in in believing you will be refreshed and renewed in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for this today. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.